Awesome. Good morning, Horizon. Uh, it's great to see. It was great to see so many people here at 1045. That was awesome. So fun. And I know you may not have had a conversation with like a new person. It might not have felt like it was worth the trip. But like, I don't know if you noticed, but there was like an energy and an electricity in the, in the building at 1055. And I feel like, I don't know, I just want to walk into that space. It made me like excited to be here. It made me like feel like this was vibrant and energetic. So thank you. I would say continue with that because it's going to, you know, next week's going to get a little harder and next week's going to get a little harder. And January 21st, if that's a Sunday, will be really hard because it's going to be cold and dark. And so let's, let's just kind of keep that up because I think it just adds to the environment. We are kind of ready to worship so that when Tom or whoever's hosting gets up here, there's people in the room to engage and we're ready to turn our hearts to worship immediately as the worship team comes up. And just an exciting moment. So again, if you were late, like that's no good. I'm not trying to guilt you or shame you. That happens. But like just, just as, a, as, a, as a culture change, I was excited to see so many people here. Uh, pray with me as we continue in worship this morning. Lord God, thank you so much for the chance to be together this morning. Thank you for this church family and what it means to my life and what it means to the lives of so many. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to speak this morning, that you would speak through me, that anything that's of me would be quickly forgotten, and that anything that's of you would stick to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been continuing this series. It's kind of the Horizon Vision series on where we're going as a church. And we've been talking about spheres of impact that the church has. And if, those, if you haven't missed the last couple of weeks, we looked at this passage. Mark kind of introduced us to it in Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So we've been talking about concentric circles of impact. Jesus sent them out in concentric circles of impact. And what does that mean for us? What is our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria? What is our ends of the earth? And we've been kind of talking about what that means, what we've been interpreting that as. And Jerusalem, we've been saying, is the work that happens right here, the ministry that happens in this building, the extension of the things that we do, Sunday morning service, like, you know, and link group, and that its main purpose is discipleship and to build up disciples, to equip us to go out and do the work that God has called us to do. And we've been talking about our Jerusalem as our immediate neighborhood. What does it mean for us to be good news in the neighborhood? What does it mean for us to do this well? And this includes Towson University, Towson High School, Uptown Towson, the business district, the courthouses, the neighbors and the people who live here, the people who get frustrated when we block their driveways on Sunday because we have so many cars that come into this neighborhood. What does it mean for us to be good news to this area that we're here? And we kind of talked about that last Sunday. And now we're in you know, Samaria. What does that mean for us? And that, I think that really gets to, the, you know, that layer that's just our neighbor that's a little bit different. Well, who's that neighbor that's just outside? We're going to kind of get more into that this morning. And then the ends of the earth. We invest in Nicaragua, but we send people from this church all over the world. And what does it mean that our church is engaging to the ends of the earth? You know, in, in the, just where we've been the last couple of weeks, Mark talked about the purpose of Jerusalem, of making disciples, and it was an incredible sermon. If you missed it, go back and check it out. And last week, we talked about investing in Judea and loving our neighborhood well. And what does it mean to listen, to really understand what our neighbors need? And what does it mean that, you know, that there are people who may fill these empty seats in the room who aren't here yet, and to be loving on them in a way that engages? And so this is like where we're going from here. You know, we've also been talking about the horizon commitment. And these are some of the things that have been brought up over the last few weeks. A life moving in the direction of wholeness. If you commit to horizon, we are asking that you would commit to a year to do these things. A life moving in the direction of wholeness, investing in community, and a lifestyle of sacrificial giving. Those are the three things we've kind of like touched on the last couple of weeks. And we're going to touch on these again this morning, but we're also going to kind of tackle the next part of our commitment, which is serving the wider world. And what does that mean for us at Horizon Church, that we commit to serve the wider world when we're together? You know, from Judea to Samaria is interesting. 
Judea was ethnically and culturally similar to Jerusalem. I mean, it was almost identical. It's just, you know, Jerusalem, just a little bit over there. You know, it, it wasn't a big stretch for them. So as Jesus is saying to them, go, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they were thinking, great, Jesus, we're already here. That's awesome. That's, we don't have to travel. So just go out and tell people. That's easy news for us. And then you'll go to Judea. Cool, I got cousins in Judea. I mean, I, I vacation there. Heck, I'd spend all summer there if I had the option. This is easy. And you'll be my witnesses in Samaria. Like record scratch, right? <laughs> And everybody in that room would have been like, goo, what? No, no, no. Jesus, like, uh, Samaria's not really that nice this time of year. I don't know if you know. Samaria's just not really where we're at. In fact, we did very little work in Samaria when you were here. What do you mean that we're going to be kind of focusing on Samaria now? And Jesus said, no, that's exactly where you're going next. As soon as you go to Jerusalem and then you go to Judea, you will be going to Samaria. And why would this have been so hard? You know, Samaria was the, the other neighbor. Right, that neighbor that you don't quite get along with, that neighbor that, oh man, I wish they would just move, right? Like, like that would just make this neighborhood so much more fun if that neighbor wasn't here. Um, that's kind of how Samaria was. They were, as Mark said in the first week, I don't know if syncretists is a word, but I made it a word because syncretism is a word. Um, they were religiously syncretists. It might be, I don't know. I just went with it. They, they, and what does that mean? They took pieces of religion, any religion that they kind of pleased them, and they kind of mixed it all up in a little bag, and they worshiped whatever they wanted to worship. They, they were not pure Jewish. Now, it's interesting. In the beginning of Acts, it says that there were people from all over the world who came to Jerusalem and that they met the Lord in this powerful moment. And so they had people of all kinds of nations and tribes, kind of, because they were all Jews, though. They had come from all around the world to worship during the feasts. They were Jewish enough that they would have traveled. Here's people next door saying, I don't care what they're doing over there. I have no part in it. Jerusalem is not my bag. I, have no, I want nothing to do with that. They were religiously kind of combined whatever they wanted to combine. Sounds a little bit like uh, religious people today, doesn't it? Like, eh, I like a little bit of this, a little sprinkle of that. And I don't like that. So that's just not, can't be true. Right? They were, they were ethnically not pure Jews. They were a different they were a different race. And in, and in Jewish culture, they had kind of intermarried with cultures that they really despised. And so they kind of became, in their eyes, this terrible term, like half-breeds Jewish. So they were like a lower form of Jew to them. And they did look down on Samaritans. They did not think well of them at all. So they were religiously different. They were ethnically different. They were the enemy. They were the people that they did not like they did, they, they, in most of their parables. And it's what Jesus set apart. When Jesus told stories, he kind of lifted Samaritans up as heroes to kind of create that moment where you would say, like, how can, a Samaria, how can anything good come from Samaria? Because that's really what the belief of the time was. So why go to Samaria? Like, why is this important? Like, why would the disciples go to Samaria? Well, first of all, Jesus told them to. So that was kind of like the benchmark that was set. But then something else happened here in the beginning of Acts. In Acts 8, 1 through 8, like I said, a lot of people had come from around the world, and they were worshiping, and the church was growing, and it was thriving in Jerusalem, and they were building disciples, and they were having this great time. Yeah, absolutely. And they were building this great time. And then all of a sudden, something kind of went sideways. This man, Stephen, who was filled with the Holy Spirit and started preaching powerfully, kind of got himself in trouble with the religious elite, and he got put on trial. And in a situation that would have very much echoed through what Jesus just went through, he was put to death and stoned right there in the city of Jerusalem. And some guy, Saul, kind of helped out with all this. He becomes important later, right? So, like, so Stephen dies, and this is the very next verse. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So think about this. 
It wasn't necessarily like a great strategic move other than they were kind of running for their lives. And as they went, they're like, you know, they went two directions, Judea to the south, Samaria to the north. They had to go in both directions. But what they might have done before was try to just keep their heads down and get through Samaria. But because of what Jesus commanded them to, as they were kind of moving on and going out, they started preaching the word. Like they started sharing the good news of what had just taken place in Jerusalem. And it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he starts to be very intentional about this. And he proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there's great joy in the city. So what happens? Well, they're, they're kind of retreating. They're kind of expanding in different directions from Jerusalem. And they start telling the good news, and they start being the good news in different places. And people respond to it. And it's good news, even though it's bad news that there's persecution in Jerusalem, it's good news to Samaria that these people are coming here. These aren't treating them the way that Jews kind of treat them. They're not looking down their nose at them. They're not kind of like walking to the other side of the street because they're impure. They're stopping. They're having conversations with them. They're healing them. They're taking care of their needs. And they're telling them about this great news that they are invited into a religion that they had been kept out of for so long. And it's good news. So something starts happening in Samaria. In fact, so many people start kind of like coming to know Jesus in Samaria that the apostles who are still in Jerusalem are like, we should probably go check out what's happening up there in Samaria because there's something going on, right? And so it says, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So they start turning their lives over to Jesus. They're baptized. They're becoming believers. And so Peter and John are like, let's go check out what's going on up there. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's going on here? There's a lot of things going on here. I don't want to get into all of it, but one thing that's significant. So they give their lives to Christ, but they don't have yet the same power at work in them that they had in Jerusalem. So Peter and John say, well, look, they believe. What's to keep them from the full immersion in the kingdom of God? The only thing that would fully endorse them is the spirit of God. God saying, yes, I will come on you too, and you are part of the family. So they pray, and God responds. And he puts his seal of approval to say, this is my church. This is my church. Now, this is groundbreaking news, because when they talk about it later, it's not the disciples who made this decision. God made this decision. He blew up the walls of the family and said, like, you're going to need some more space in this house because we are bringing the Samaritans in. And here's the thing. If the Samaritans can come in, everybody's welcome because they were the ones that we least wanted in the house, right? So something big is happening right here in Samaria. It's transformational for what the church will become. And from this point on, we see the church blowing up into all peoples, tribes, and nations. It goes from this moment to the ends of the known world, and it just keeps expanding, right? It becomes massive. Now, we think of, like, when we think of church today, like, we're kind of labeled as, we think it's a Western religion. And on top of that, we kind of think it's like a white Protestant religion. It's really what we kind of, like, focus on. But here we are, and an ancient Eastern multi-ethnic religion is what's breaking out here. This is the religion that we stepped full on into. This is Jesus Christ. And here's the craziest thing. It will go on to become, and I got this from the Bible Project, so this is not my own thing, but it will go on to become the most culturally and ethnically diverse religious movement in human history. And that's still true today. There is nothing more ethnically 
like, and culturally diverse than Christianity at work in the world when it comes to religious movements. Think about that for a second. So the question I have, would you think that's true if you only analyze the American church? If you just came here and kind of took a bird's eye view and said, is this the most diverse, active religious movement in the world? Are they breaking down barriers and accepting people that has never been accepted before? Are they doing something new that the world has never seen before? Because that's what was being said of the church early on. And we've kind of we've separated again. We've kind of gone back to our comfort zones a little bit, haven't we? Well, why is that? Why are we, you know, I, I heard a statistic, and I don't know if it's true, that it's Sunday mornings might be the most divided time in the church. Like, you know, we worship in very, very different places. It might be the least culturally like, inclusive place. It's Sunday mornings where we all go to our own pockets and worship the way we want to. What does that mean for us as a church? You know, who is our Samaria? I would say anyone who is a neighbor but different in a substantial way. Anyone who's our neighbor but different is our Samaria. For our purposes, let's focus on Baltimore City. And let me just say right away, I am not like qualified to talk about anything that I'm about to talk about. <laughs> so let me just own that. Like, right? like this is more of a journey of me trying to understand something and inviting you to go on this journey with me. Because I think we need to go on a journey as a church. I'm not an expert. I don't know if we have anybody who's fully an expert to talk about this, but we need to talk about it. Like Baltimore City sits right next to us, and it is a very, very different world from where we live right here in Towson. It just is. You know, um, let's take a look at race and economic status this morning. Like, because I think that's the two things that maybe divide us most here in Baltimore is that we are very divided on race and we're very divided on economic status. We're comfortable people in our middle class environment, but when we get outside of that, there's a lot of discomfort. You know, when we think about Baltimore, here's the crazy thing. Like our church sits here. This is Towson and the line is a hard line between Towson and Baltimore. I mean, you can literally be like one foot in each place very easily. They are our direct neighbor. You know, I remember, I don't, do you remember when they started putting these signs up? It was like kind of jarring to me. Like, oh, that's where the city starts? Like, I didn't even know. But, you know, I'm like, and, and then part of why I would notice this so substantially is when I was living over right off of Lock Raven Boulevard on Heather Hill, this was three quarters of a mile from my house. I'm like, oh, like, man, like the city line is right there. And right here, man, if I lived right over there, my taxes would be way higher. That was my first thought. That's terrible, right? No, honestly. <laughs> And then my second thought was, man, my, my, where my kids go to school would be substantially different. You know? And like, uh, maybe economic opportunities would be substantially different. Like, you know, a lot of things just happen on this arbitrary patch of grass right here, right? You know, it's, uh, I'm going to share a little clip from my, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes from The Wire. Now, let me just say real quick, it is The Wire. It's an HBO show. I am not recommending that you go out and watch this. Right? Like, um, but it, I think it really tackles kind of deep-seated issues in an HBO way. So please hear that. But like, uh, this, this scene is a little cleaned up. But I think it captures very, very clearly. It's, it's really from the perspective of a guy who is a heroin addict living in the city. And he becomes like an informant for the police. He kind of informs on different drug things that are going on. And he has this moment where he's kind of hanging with his detective McNulty, who's been driving around. And he's kind of showing him where the drug dealers work on the corners. And McNulty realizes that he's late to his son's soccer practice. And so he has to take Bubbles, who has grown up in the, one of the worst parts of Baltimore, and he's only known one of the worst parts of Baltimore. He's addicted to heroin. And his, his perspective is very, very different from McNulty's, and he's just in the car as McNulty goes to soccer practice. And I think it's just a, a powerful reminder of the differences between some of the neighborhoods right around here. Go where and leave it to Beaverland are you taking me? I'm late for something. I'll drop you after on the way back downtown. 
What you late for? Soccer. Suck what? For you guys. Ricardo, my assist. Assist? That's good. Hey, get a drink on the brakes, okay? I don't want you to get dehydrated. Hey. It's just bubbles. Hi. <clears throat> okay. Go on, Bye Mike. Good for you? Mm-hmm. It's a thin line between heaven and here. Case what he missed what he said there. He said a thin line between heaven and hell. You know, and like, look, I know this is a very, very like reductionist statement, and not every neighborhood is like that in the city, and not every neighborhood is like that in Towson. But there's a there's a reality at work, you know, that like, I think about the opportunities and the access, and even what some people in the city even ever experience, right? Like, and, and even the way that people maybe feel treated when they step outside of their world. Like, you know, the, the, the shirking back from the touch because he's a heroin addict. He's got kind of sores and spots all over him. And there's, there's a reality that divides us. And here's the thing. I'm not saying it's always like this, but there is a line that we allow, there's lines that we allow in our mind to divide us from things. Sometimes it's specific neighborhoods. Sometimes it's specific races. Sometimes it's specific economic status. But the reality is there are lines that separate us as a culture. And really, if we really are honest, those lines are getting thicker and thicker and becoming walls in our culture today. And if we're serious about being the church, the church was huge about knocking down walls and like evaporating lines. That's what they did early on. There's a drastic difference in the neighborhoods, the opportunities, the safety right here. And here's the thing. You can get to a neighborhood just like that in a 15-minute drive. You don't have to try very hard. You know, it's wild. Like, um, I, I've been talking a little bit about, like, my, like, last week I mentioned my relationship with Javon, with the guy that I work with in the city. We both live about like a fraction off of York Road. It's pretty wild. And it's pretty jarring to me every single time I go to pick him up. We both live a fraction off of York Road. I live a fraction off on Egberth, and he lives a fraction off in like Gobins, Towson's Gobins. I drive eight minutes to get to his house in the morning, eight minutes. And you can tell when you cross into the neighborhood. I mean, you can tell. Northern Parkway and then like really like when you get past Cold Spring, it's just different. It's just different. I mean, different worlds, and eight minutes apart, eight minutes apart, off the same major, Route 45, right, York Road, right down there, very different. 
I don't want to really kind of create like a ton of guilt this morning. I don't want to just kind of like put this heaviness. And I don't really want to get into all the statistics. Because we know it. We know that there's a difference. We know there's a line there. We know that it's hard. So, but the question is like, what can we do about it? Like it, it, there's such radical changes that need to happen. And they're way above our, maybe not our pay grade, they're way above our ability to understand. So let's try to get practical about like, what does it actually look like to start to make a difference between these lines? The reality is that most of us are way too detached to answer that question. Like, what can we do about it? I think most of us don't have a good answer because we're kind of really detached from the situations. We don't face it day in and day out. And so we don't really think about it. Out of sight, out of mind, we don't really have any. If somebody came to you and said, what would you do to kind of, well, something political. Somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something. It's one of those guys, right? Like, that's always our kind of answer to this. In Galatians, it says this. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. Have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's the craziest thing about the early church. When they sat down for meals, it was one of the only places in society where slave ate with free. One of the only places in society that happened. Male and females invited in the same community, right? Jew and Gentiles did not even go under the same roof. They're having meals together. The church was known for blowing the walls down and like being inclusive. And they were weird. They were weird because of this. More than anything else, they were weird because of what they were doing when they got together. It was just weird. The Roman world didn't understand them, and they stood out from the world and said, we will be different and that we stand together and we invite anyone. And who is that most attractive to? Is that most attractive to the rich Roman, or is that most attractive to the slave? Their house was full of people who wanted the lines brought down. And it was cool because there were prominent women who would join, and they said, yes, this seems right. But you don't hear much about the prominent men, (laughs) right? You don't hear much about the Roman men. They were not the foundation of the church. Prominent women who had a vision for something, a different world, and slaves who needed a different world, and Gentiles who were tired of being on the outside who wanted to be a part of these things. This was who made up the early meals. This is who made up the early church congregations. There was something special happening in this place, and they were different because Christianity turned the structures upside down. Not only that, but they created an alternative culture built on the conviction that Jesus is the true king. And he said, if Jesus is the true king, how I orient the rest of my life needs to be different. And they took that really seriously. Now, I'm not saying that we can make changes like this overnight, but we need to take that seriously. What does it mean that Jesus is the true king and he's invited everyone to the table? Because we got to take that seriously as a church. People traded in everything for a new way of doing life. Here's the crazy thing. If you joined the church, you gave up a lot back then. You probably weren't accepted in the marketplace in the same way. You were going to be looked down upon your neighbors. So you gave up a lot to enter into this church where you then gave up a lot. (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, it's pretty wild. Like, what was the attraction? They were building a new world. And there was something about that that was captivating. And they were being obedient to Jesus Christ. And maybe they went first step in obedience. And as they got there, they said, you know what? It's the other people who are crazy, because this is awesome. This is awesome. This is the family of God. This is where everyone belongs. You know, we aren't going to turn structures upside down overnight. But what is one step that we could take towards this picture that we see in the Bible? What's one step that we could take? And this is my big challenge to you this morning. It's not going to be go out and feel guilty for the rest of your life, go out and do whatever. But I want you to think long and hard about what is one step 
that you could take. And I'm going to tell you about one step that I took in my Young Life mentorship with this guy, Javon. And I'm only going to tell you about it, not because I'm like bragging about it, not because I'm proud about it in this sense. I'm going to tell you because some of the other things I would tell you about are just too hard to do. I would love to tell you about what Alyssa is doing as a mentor with Araminta, but it's really tough. And like not everybody's probably going to be able to do that, but I hope some of you are. And you know what? If you take a couple steps, you might find as your capacity grows that someday you can do something like that. But that's probably not what you're going to do on day one. And not many of you are going to go work as a teacher in the city like my wife does, who I could not hack it. Like what she does every day, I could not do. That's difficult work, and she's making a world of difference in the lives of so many students. And there are many of you in this room who are doing things that are raising the bar. But this is easy, actually. It's really easy. And, I, and that's, so I'm going to tell you about that because it was a pretty easy step because a lot of people did a lot of homework and they created a lot of things. And basically what they did is they went to principals and schools and they said, hey, who are, who are some students that are struggling that could maybe benefit from an older guy in their lives who would kind of walk with them for a little bit? And they gave them some students and they invited those students down to the office. And they said, hey, would you be interested in being a part of a mentorship program? And so the ones that said yes, we went, they went and met the parents and they said, would you be okay with your student kind of hanging out with some guy from... Towson, I guess, in this case. And if parents said yes, they allowed me to come down and meet him, and we kind of sat down and we filled out like a chart of like, what's your favorite activity? When's your birthday? And we kind of had a little get-to-know-you kind of like meeting. And then they said, okay, cool. We're going to put on a breakfast for you guys. Every week, we're going to put on a breakfast. And all you have to do is pick up Javon at his house, drive him to the breakfast. At the time, it was at Morgan State. Now he's in high school. We go to Miss Shirley's, which food quality is a step up. I mean, (laughs) pretty good. I mean, I'm really suffering for the Lord. <laughs> so like, yeah, so like, um, so like, so literally like, and then the commitment was breakfast once a week. That was the commitment. Breakfast once a week, right? And I go down and I pick up Javon and we go to breakfast and it's, it's simple. It's easy. It's actually not that much of a stretch for me. And I say this because I want you to know this. When we invest here in Towson, you might throw tons of seeds out and it might yield very little fruit. But sometimes when we just do like a little bit of seeds, an area that just has a greater need for this, the fruit just blows up, right? So I breakfast once a week. So it started off me driving him to breakfast and the cool thing kind of happened. We had conversations on the way to and from. I would pick him up. We kind of, and very short conversations. If you have met Javon, he likes to give one word answers and I've really struggled. I'm pretty talkative. I cannot get him talking, uh, but, but it's awesome. He started to share a little bit more. Every year that goes by, he shares a little bit more. And it lets me a little bit farther in, a little bit deeper. But I drive him to breakfast. We kind of, we, like, in middle school, was mostly games, and they'd share a short gospel message. And as we kind of grow up, now we're having really cool conversations in ninth grade. We're talking about, is Kanye West legit? What's going on with him? And I'm like, I'm learning from Javon about this, you know? And we're talking about, like, that thing that happened in Texas where that man got down from the jury stand and hugged the woman who killed his brother. What do you think about that? And we're having really profound conversations with people with very different perspectives than my own. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome. You know, there are opportunities to expand. As we've gotten to know each other and we feel more comfortable, I get to take him out every year for his birthday, and he picks places that are near and dear to my heart, like Red Robin, so that's easy. Love it. You know, and so then, like, we, he's gotten to go to, like, hayrides with us. We went and did the corn maze. It's the first time he's ever been, like, on a farm. That was pretty crazy. I mean, I'd be, like, so, like, we, we got to do a lot of really fun things. So, like, uh, little by little, we're expanding that relationship. And for a short period of time, we both got gym memberships, and we're working out together. It was really fun. You know, then he joined the football team, and he's working out with people tougher than me now. So, all right, fine, <laughs> fine, all right, I can handle it. So, yeah, so what does the relationship accomplish, right? Like, what does it accomplish? And I, and I was trying to think about this. Like, here's what I think Javon receives. Here's my perspective on what I think Javon receives from it. A resource in life that is, most of his peers don't have. 
a resource in life that most of his peers don't have. And I don't say I offer a lot, but there's a little bit of like a resource that he kind of gets from being like connected to me. We went and kind of served and cleaned up a park. That's what that picture was from. We cleaned up trash in a park as part of a service project. And like one of the things he had asked me for is if I would chip in on a video game that he wanted. Not many of them have like an adult that they can kind of serve side by side with and then kind of go do like a fun birthday gift. He access to my wider community. Here's something that is just a really stark reality. What if Javon was ever wrongfully arrested? And that happens. Or what if he was actually rightfully arrested? Who does he have to call upon in that moment? I mean, I've got the legal beagle, Zach Coon here, right? I've got, I, know, I know people. I know people. I know people. This happened with uh, Steve McDonald's son, Chris, his, one of the guys that he had invested a lot of time in got arrested. He didn't know who to call but Chris. And Chris got connections and got some things to him and made sure he was fairly represented in whatever was going on. He just has access. Do you know how many, he wants to start, his dream is to start a landscape. He wants to be a landscaper. Do you think knowing me maybe helps give him some connections to get that done? It's a sad reality, but it's a little bit of a bridge to a different world. He gets an adult perspective that isn't in an authority over him. Most ninth graders are full of, the only adults in their life tell them what to do, Right? I kind of say, I don't know, man. I don't know if I do that, but it's your choice because I'm not his parent and I'm not his teacher, but I'm a friend and I can kind of weigh in and I can tell you what, he's getting very different advice from his other friends. So we kind of get to talk on a friend level. A person in his life who loves him and who loves Jesus, which I just believe is a powerful thing when you have someone in your life who loves Jesus, it has powerful impacts on you. This is kind of the thing, but what do I get out of it? First of all, I get a friend with a very different perspective. You know, I hear about violence in Baltimore City and it's very detached from what I live. You know, I, I don't see it. I know it's a statistic. Javon's brother was shot two years ago. You think it's a statistic to him? You know, how does that change my understanding? When I pick him up and for about three months in a row, I watched him as he helped his brother get to the bathroom and back before we went to breakfast together. That's, that's real life. That's a very different world than I live in. It changes my perspective, right? It, you know, and here's the question, because most of my weeks, my greatest stress is, how's my kitchen renovation going? Who do you think needs this relationship more? Right? I need this. I need this. It gives me a much more realistic perspective of the world. I get really in- integrated with the way the world really is. And when I see Javon struggle with taking steps towards things, and I see the obstacles that are in his way, it's not, his, it's not always his fault. And I understand that there are legitimate obstacles that keep him from doing things. And it makes me mad because of the injustice of some of it. And with that, I get a little taste of what the world is really like and how I want to start being a part of making it right. And it gives me a deeper understanding of the heart of Jesus who looks at that and says, this should not be an arbitrary piece of grass that separates how we grow up. It just shouldn't be. And I feel God's heart break over that. And it gives me a deeper connection to Jesus because I, and my frustration, all I can do is go to Jesus about it. Right? So, like, so this is what starts to happen. Well, something profound is happening. And it's easy in the sacrifice category. And it's yielding immense fruit in what it's transforming in me and hopefully what it's transforming in Javon. But immense fruit. And here's the thing. I feel like if we learn to take steps across our comfort zones and into lines, what will transform in us will be powerful. So what if, just my little questions to ask, what if everyone in Horizon Church had a regular touch point with the city or, a very different, or someone with a very different perspective? doesn't even necessarily be in the city. What if it's somebody who's dealing with addiction right here? What if it's somebody just of a different race right here that we, and I don't mean having like a token black friend. I mean like really stepping into someone's world and understanding their life, right? 
I mean, like, I mean, like really diving into that perspective. What if our understanding grew so that we became leaders in how to addressing significant change? Because I think if we were polled right now, we wouldn't have many better solutions than what everybody else is trying. But what if we actually gained understanding and we spent enough time really listening and we really kind of walked across those lines ourselves to say, now I kind of have some ideas about how we can kind of bridge this gap. Because I don't pretend to know yet, but I hope six years into my relationship with Javon, I'll have some different answers than I do right now. What if we sacrificially gave in a way that led to transformation? As a church, we give some money to organizations that are making a world of difference in the city. But what if we kind of took that as a challenge to ourselves to say, I see some of the privilege and I want to start giving in such a way that changes things. I mean, we're giving ACTC baskets right now. There are simple ways that we can kind of start to just bring the equity back up to people who are in a tough place. It doesn't take a ton, but what if we start giving sacrificially in that way? And it leads to transformation in the situation and in us is the bigger thing. We start to transform. Because I realize maybe I don't need a $5 coffee every morning, right? Maybe $30 to ACTC goes a lot farther in the things that really matter than my Starbucks. What if we started to look more like the early church and our church services? Because here's the thing. If we start doing these things, if we all took very seriously to try to walk through that line and knock that wall down, this church is going to start to feel different in an awesome way, right? It's going to start more looking like the early services where we have people, we have heroin addicts that feel comfortable to come here and to be a part of us. We have people who come from the city who say, I want to be a part of those worship services. We start to really blur these lines. And this church starts to feel like something very different. And you almost have to look back to early Acts to kind of see what is this church feeling like. It feels like that in a powerful way. You know, so getting practical. What, I would say, what can you do? Find a way to serve. Just go and do something that engages. And if you don't know what that is, maybe you already have an idea. There are lots of programs, a lot of cool things to do. But I would say volunteer is one of our partners. You know, what is our partners? And I want to say just a little bit about this. I mentioned three that do substantial work with kind of people who are in different socioeconomic status or right across the city line. Here's three of our partners. And you can read about them right here on our partners page. And there are easy ways. Why do we have church partners? Like, why do we build these? The main reason is this. They fill a gap that we're not equipped to fill on our own. We as a leadership, we kind of decided like we want to make an impact in the city and we don't know how. So who's already doing good work down there that we can come and say, yeah, we'll stand side by side with you and do this. And our people volunteered. You know how most of these partners came onto our radar? Somebody from this church just volunteered. We didn't kind of like pick out. We like, and then we said, oh, that's interesting. I remember when Tracy and Cassie first went to Hope Springs and I said, and the reason I went was I was like, what are they doing? Like, our church is getting very involved in this thing. I better check it out. It was not a great leadership moment of mine. I was, like, chasing the apple cart down the road saying, like, I want to understand what's happening right now. And as we learned about it, we said, this is good work. What they're doing is meeting a felt need. They work with HIV patients in the city, some of the people who are most neglected and the very people that a lot of people pull back from. And they're doing great work in that. We said, how can we support? How can we come around? How can we help? They're filling a gap on our own, and we, our church cares about what they're doing. And how we determine by our church cares about what they're doing is by what you guys care about. When people invest in this, and you might wonder, why is the Young Life mentorship not on our list yet? Because I'm the only one who's going right now. It doesn't fit the criteria. Our church has not shown that they care about it. Come with me. I would love to make that a partner. I, would, I mean, we're not here to list Ryan Casey's passion projects. As a church, we want to find out what we really care about. Because as we care about things, the church will say, because you're going, we will send support. We will stand with it. We will make it happen. 
And as these things started to build, that's how they became partners. And we love that it puts us in deeper relationships with other churches because we want the church to stand together to all together. Horizon Church alone cannot knock down a wall. But when the churches stand together and say, human trafficking does not happen in my city, and the whole church stands arm in arm and says, we will stand against this together, it makes a difference. That wall starts to come down. When we start to say, poverty's not okay in our city, we don't want to have the same HIV rates in certain neighborhoods that they have in Africa, which actually happens in Baltimore City. We start to knock down that wall together. That's what makes a Horizon partner of ours. So we've vetted them. We've done our homework. We know them. We know what they stand for. And we say, yeah, go volunteer with them. They're great. In fact, I know some people from Horizon who already go. I'll introduce you. And give. Serve and give. Here's the thing. Like, we should be called to be given sacrificially in this way. I want you to have a deeper understanding of how Horizon gives money. Because I think it's an important note as we think about how we give our money out. If Steve and uh, Luke would come up here for a second. They're going to share a little bit about like, how Horizon gives money and what we do with our partners. Because I think it's an important thing that you realize that if you tie the Horizon Church, this is what your money, here, we got this one too if you want it. This is what your money goes towards. And I think you, it's, it's good that we know these things. And I, it's also good for you to know that it's not Mark and I who pick out how we do this, but it's guys like this who offstage are still taller than me. Um, <laughs> no, it's our leadership team and subcommittees that kind of make these decisions. Like we, we make that together. So go ahead, guys. <laughs> Thank you. So Luke and I are part of a uh, committee that connects uh, Horizon's priorities with money that actually gets spent. So we make recommendations. And I want to make it clear that we are very, very accountable to leadership, to the pastors, uh, to our financial team, uh, and how all this works. And what we do is that we try to put into practice our priorities as a community. There are probably uh, fewer ways that really demonstrate what we care about more, maybe prayer and, and where we put our time, but where we spend our money really says a whole lot about us. So it's really, really critical that we connect, we help make recommendations to connect our deepest held values and those that are in most need. So what probably fuels us more than anything else other than the values that we've expressed, we've been talking about in this series is that scripture in James that says that pure religion has to do with how a church responds to those with deepest needs. And in that context, it was widows and was orphans. And in our society, we have the equivalent and specifically widows and orphans that, that we take care of too. So it's our prime directive to be the conduit between what you give, and we're very, very conscious of how precious that money is, and then who we give to. Yeah, and the reason why it is pure religion is because it taps into the very heart of the Father. Like, he cares deeply about those in great need. He cares deeply about those helpless among us. And so you can give money that, so as a church, we give 10% of our budget, and we've always done that. And it's been sacrificial as a church. I mean, there's been years with very lean budgets where Mark and Ryan have had to take um, cuts in their pay, but we never cut out that 10% of our budget that goes greatly to those in need. And so we are entering into a period of owning this building. I mean, there's just immense things that we can do with money, but we will never touch that 10% of our budget. Um, so this year it looks like, uh, here we have the slide up here, we have a $350,000 budget this year in 2019, and hopefully we'll actually be over that. So we'll give away 10% of that, which is $35,000. We can give that away in a way that's just haphazard, or we can give 
that in a way that taps into the very heart of the Father, that we can just listen to him of who, what he has put inside us as his spirit of who he cares so deeply about. Um, so just in listening, uh, we, we started this committee because we didn't want to be haphazard about that. We wanted to hear who the Lord says we are as a church, what our responsibility is to carry his presence and his light into dark places. So in listening to that, we thought... Um, you know, dividing that up, we have major partners. So this year it's Araminta, it's um, the Feeding Center in Nicaragua, and it's Food for Thought. And that's something that the Lord, I'm so f- proud of this church, that Mark and Ryan are the one, are, were part of founding Araminta Freedom Initiative, which is um, seeing the responsibility. The motto is, until every child is free. It's, it's child, children caught in uh, human sex trafficking, and sitting across from Rhonda Sanko, who's the new executive director, and seeing tears in her eyes, saying that we want that to matter. Like, we, we don't want that just to be words. We will not stop until every child is free from human trafficking. So we see that as a major responsibility. Um, Nicaragua, I've sat with people who have been down there with the orphans in the feeding centers, and they see children who um, are just desperate for food. And so just in leadership, whenever we have a, a, like a surplus of um, our giving budget, it's like, well, and we can always give it to the orphans. I mean, that's so in touch with the Lord's heart and see people who are broken in the same way the Lord is from seeing them in that way. But then we have minor partners. We have those of you around us who have been involved um, in ministry. And so we want to bless that, like Ryan said. So those who are in full-time ministry, we always want to support you. So if, you, if we aren't supporting you and you're in full-time ministry, in campus ministries, in um, uh, you know, Youth for Christ, like, like the Douglases, um, if, uh, you know, if, as a missionary to Zambia, like Kate Faye is, we want to bless that as well. But then also, we, we tap in the Lord's heart just with needs in our community. So Steve wants to talk about that because that's not haphazard as well. No, it is not. And, uh, you know, need never uh, makes an appointment. It just happens. And so we have to be agile and we have to be uh, flexible in, in how we respond to those needs. And a lot of times those needs come as a direct result of community that we're all in, in, involved with. So a, a major source of identifying where we spend that type of money is through our link groups. So it's all within the context of community. It's all in the context of relationship that we have and the trust that is flowing in out of that community and in that relationship that needs are brought forward and then we respond. And part of how we respond is not just out of church money, which, again, really, really important, precious. We understand the stewardship that's involved on our part with that money. But then we also go to, to, and we give a chance for individuals to respond to. So we want to make sure that the body has the chance to respond as need is presented and then how God responds and calls uh, you to be part of of a solution. And then uh, the cool thing is, this is our 2019 budget. Um, so actually, this is, that's 2020 is what it should say. So we're actually growing as a church in our giving. So we gave 10%. Food for Thought was actually part of our 10% giving budget. We realized that there's just so many needs. Like uh, we, we feel like we want to be, do more as a church in our giving. So we took Food for Thought and made that really just an internal ministry, which we want to have more of that. We want to be more of a, of a church that actually has... Um, just internal missions where we are bringing light into dark places. And you've heard Angela talk about food for thought, but it is giving food to um, 
children in, in schools who are part of the school lunch program, but then during the weekends they would be starving because they aren't provided for. So um, we took that out of our 10%. So that's an addition, and our budget's growing as well. And what's awesome is, like, and, and just as like a personal discipline too, if you're somebody who tithes, who gives a portion of your income, as, the, as your income grows, so does um, the, what you're able to do. As our church, we see our budget growing, and we want to be just, that's why this, this committee's so important because we want to be so careful in walking in step with the Lord, with the way the Lord says we were created to bless the greater world. So hopefully, you know, we get a seven-figure budget in the future, and we're able to give, you know, 100,000 plus in, in bringing light into dark places, soldiers into and armies in the world. But um, anyway, Ryan is just going to finish up his sermon. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, real quick, again, if we start doing this well, our community needs are going to raise, right? We're going to have more people who come who are in need, and we're going to need to meet those needs. And with more of you volunteering in the city, we're going to have more partners that we're going to need to fund. And like, so like this budget is built to increase. We've been building to want to increase it. So and every, like you said, every year, every year we've sent a couple thousand extra dollars to Nicaragua because people give so well on Christmas. And we say, like, this needs to benefit Nicaragua because we've been blessed, and we need to pour that blessing out. So, like, that will happen again. I'm sure that will happen again this year. I believe it will happen again this year. Um, but it's an incredible thing. Just a few questions to leave you with as the worship team comes back up. It's just, you know, I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I want you to be hopeful that because every one little step that we take, every one little investment that you make, it is massively blessed, I believe that the money that we send to Nicaragua, and let me say this, and actually I don't want to steal anything from Nicaragua for next week. Tyler's going to tell you more about the ends of the earth. Um, I'll let him tell this story next week. But every little investment that you make goes so much farther, the farther you get from, from Jerusalem, the farther you get from Judea. But money in Towson is easily kind of flittered away. But money in the city is much more carefully handled. And as it gets to the end of the earth, money makes a world of difference in those places. What's one step that you could take? What's your, first of all, what's your touch point to Samaria? What's different? What's your neighbor that's a little bit different that you could go out of your comfort zone to love on and to be connected to? What if we all really took that seriously to make sure that we had a touch point? And what's one step that you could take that would lead to substantial transformation? Maybe it's saying, I think I could give an hour a week to meet with somebody. Maybe it's saying, I want to go through the elementary training and see where it leads me. Or I want to know more about this Hope Springs thing. Or I want to know more about what it means to do, to give things at ACTC. I can go buy more baskets than I thought I could because I'm going to give a little bit sacrificially this year. Like, what is that one thing that you feel really inclined to take that would take substantial transformation? And the question that kind of follows that is, what are you willing to sacrifice for that thing? What are you willing to sacrifice? Because here's one promise I will make. You take that step, you're going to be so blown away, you're going to want to sacrifice more. So make sure you're willing to have an open heart before you go down that road, because God's going to expand it. He's going to expand it. Uh, Pray with me as the worship team um, will then lead us farther. Lord God, oh, and this is a prayer Sunday. So if you want prayer about anything, please head, you head down the hallway. In the sanctuary, they'll be willing to meet with you and pray with you about any need that you have, or anything that's on your heart, anything that's at work in your body. They would love to pray with you. Lord God, we come to you this morning just very, very, very aware that we live in a lot of privilege. And Lord, I know we get caught up in the things that we don't have. That's most of what we focus our attention and our energy and our stress and our anxiety on. But Lord, we want our heart to break for what breaks your heart. 
We want to be able to see outside of ourselves to know that there is just a world not far from here where the need is much greater than what we experience on a daily basis. And Lord, we want to be a part of your solution in the world. Lord, your church went and it knocked down lines and it knocked down walls and it invited everybody in. And Lord, may that be true of Horizon Church. It would be incredible if people said, oh yeah, that's that church where everybody is welcome. That's the church that kind of goes out of its way to knock down walls. Lord, may that be true of us. May we follow your heart in that way. Teach us how to take that first step and then teach us the steps that follow as well. In Jesus' name, amen.